Hello and welcome to Moving the Chains, the Northwestern football podcast. Week one was great, and it was great for the Wildcats with that win, and we're excited for another week two. I'm Amit Malik, joined by Zach Wingrove and Adam Bronstein. How are you guys doing? Happy to have you. Yeah, it's great to be back and great to be talking some Wildcats football. I'm excited. Of course, Amit, thanks for having us on the show. It's been a long time since I've had the chance to talk Northwestern Athletics, and uh, you two guys know just about as much as anyone, so I'm excited to hear what your thoughts on last week, what's coming up, and all about your thoughts on college football. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, we spend a lot of time in Northwestern football and you know a bit of time in the Big Ten, and then at the end, we'll go national uh, a little bit. But the key here is Northwestern. Let's start with that game, guys. Week one, Nevada, not a team that well, you know, not not really heralded, not a good team, but they gave Northwestern a real scare, was leading 17-7 at halftime. Northwestern outscored them 24-3 in the second half, 131-20. Let's start with overall big takeaway from this game. I'll start with Adam. I think it was a pretty good showing for Northwestern. I don't think I'm too concerned about the slow first half, just because the first game of the college football season is a weird game. But you see a lot of upsets week one. You see a lot of things you don't expect. I think that's more just a result of teams not being fully prepared week one than it is representative of how talented they are. But you look at Northwestern, Clayton Thorsten looks like he has really stepped his game up to where you, everyone had hoped from the moment that Northwestern recruited him that he would. Justin Jackson looks as good as ever. And the two other questions that remain, the group of wide receivers replacing Austin Carr and the offensive line, I think you have to give solid grades to both of those groups. So overall, I think Northwestern fans should be very pleased with the week one performance, despite the score being a bit closer than you might expect. Yeah, just kind of echoing Adam, I know while I was watching the game, surprised that it was so close, but then as I was leaving the game afterwards, I thought, of, of course Northwestern made it close. That's kind of been their mantra throughout however many seasons with Fitzgerald, they play to their level of competition. I don't think it's anything to really be concerned about. And just kind of going off what Adam said, the offense was the big story in the offseason, just how good was this offense going to be, and certainly didn't disappoint in, in my mind. They made some, some mistakes uh, early in the first half, but certainly made up for it. And Clayton Thorson really impressed, and we'll get into him, I'm sure, just the progress he's made. And Justin Jackson, I, I got to say, I, I knew, you knew Justin Jackson was going to be good, but watching him against Nevada, you forget just how good Justin Jackson is and what makes him the running back that he's been able to become for Northwestern, just how good he is and the little intricacies about his game that make him such a dominant player for the Wildcats. That was my biggest takeaway was Thorson and Jackson, just how how good they were. We knew they were going to you know, make improvements this season, but just how impressive they were against Nevada, it really uh, bodes well for the uh, upcoming season, in my opinion. I think they were as good as advertised coming in you know, it really was, as cliche as, as it is, a tale of two halves. What were the adjustments that Northwestern made at halftime? You know, obviously the defense really clamped down, and it seemed like they were passing the ball at will, but, you know, what can you point to specifically that this is why Northwestern was able to come back? Well, I think on the defensive end, the biggest problem was in the, in the first half just limiting the big plays, and I think the person, the scapegoat for everything was Marcus McShepard that game. He was the one that got burned on the two Nevada touchdowns. Um, but that's that was Nevada's game plan going in. They run that air raid offense where a bunch of quick passes and then set up a big play down the road, and those are the plays that McShepard got burned on um, in order to set up those scores. I think the on the defensive end, the player who really stepped up was Joe Gaziano. He, he got some pressure on the quarterback. Um, Nevada's quarterback really... He missed some big throws uh, in that second half or throughout the entire game, really. But Gaziano was the one that I think really stepped up, brought the pressure, and 
just forced um, forced some bad decisions on the on the offensive side of the ball, just limiting the mistakes. They were moving Northwestern was moving the ball well in the first half. They had that fumble um, in the, in the first half that you know would have e easily been a touchdown, the missed field goal, but. They just they eliminated those mistakes, and Northwestern was the better team. They dominated in every category. Those were the adjustments I saw in the second half. I agree with a lot of the points you're making, but I think something you might have uh, just glanced over was the fact that Northwestern had so many guys playing who had never played for this team before in the first game of the season. So you mentioned the big plays that Northwestern got burned down. I think that's just a bit of guys playing together who maybe haven't had a ton of Big Ten college football experience at this point. I think that the guys you really expected to have a big game, like Joe Gaziano, who, by the way, his Twitter bio reads, I'm the guy who had the sack in the end zone that one time. So <laughs> I'm a big fan of Joe Gaziano, largely because of that sack and the great Twitter bio. So I think really nothing to worry about. I don't think that this was a case of Pat Fitzgerald or Mick McCall being a halftime genius making brilliant adjustments. I think Northwestern was simply the better team. I think the players are faster, bigger, and stronger for the Wildcats than on the Wolfpack. I think the second half is really just what showed that. Yeah, building on your point with the, the youth part of it, 22 uh, athletes appeared for the first time against Nevada. Three graduate transfers, 10 redshirt freshmen, nine two true freshmen. That's a lot of youth in a first game. So Nine true freshmen in particular, something Pat Fitzgerald has never even got close to doing before. Yeah, un unlike him, but, you know, it, it speaks, I think, to the strength of the recruiting and also just, you know, the situation the team is at. Um, let's talk about the offense a little more. We know Clayton and Justin were really impressive. We can say some more about them in a bit, but I want you guys to give me who was your standout player on offense outside of those two. So I think the obvious answer would be really any of the receivers, probably Bennett Skoranek mainly, who had just a huge game. And you talk to anyone who knew this program well coming into the season, and you asked about the wide receivers and replacing Belintikoff Award finalist Austin Carr, and they would say, don't worry, Northwestern's wide receivers are going to be great. They might even be a better group than last year. And then you talk to people outside the program, and they kind of be like, well, Austin Carr's gone. How are they going to replace him? But I think what week one showed is the people who knew this program were, in fact, right. Guys like Ben Skoranek, Macon Wilson, and having a huge cat, uh, catch. And even Garrett Dickerson really looks like an improved uh, wide receiver, uh, super back, if you will. So I think Northwestern's wide receivers are what stood out the most to me. And I think that is, is a huge sign moving forward into if this team is going to really compete for a Big Ten West title. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the receivers, it's nice to see some of those guys who we knew had potential, like a Garrett Dickerson, um, Bennett Skranek, he's a little younger than Dickerson, but both of those guys have the physical tools and they've just never really been able to put it together in-game. And it's really exciting to see, at least from week one, that it looks like they're starting to make those strides and what you couldn't have asked for a better time with Austin Carr leaving. If you said Skranek, I'll go with Wilson just to be in the spirit of being different with that huge catch he made on, uh, on third down on the Wildcats' last drive. I think um, Wilson was the big playmaker, but also even some of the other receivers like uh, the newcomer Jalen Brown ran some good routes there and uh, on those on, ran two really good deep routes in the first half. The first one got broken up by a uh, Nevada uh, defensive back, but He's exciting, too. Another new face that could potentially make a big impact for the Wildcats down the road. I think they've got to be excited about the depth uh, in this receiving class. And, Zach, I remember back in the spring, you and I spoke to Pat Fitzgerald at the spring practice, and he basically said that Northwestern's going to go as far as their offensive line takes them this mm -hmm. year. What did both you and Amit, what did you guys think of Northwestern's offensive line's performance in Week 1? I thought they were really good in that they gave 
Thorson time to make those big plays, which is what you can ask for. And Nevada um, wanted to blitz sometimes. They wanted to throw some interesting looks, and I thought the line held up really well. Now, I don't think Nevada's pass rush was really anything special. It's not what we're going to see against Wisconsin yeah. or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, the run game, you know, it wasn't great. It wasn't explosive. Justin Jackson didn't have that one big run. You look at the efficiency, it wasn't that high. They still got over 100 yards, though. But Nevada's defense, they really stacked the box, so... We'll see how they do, but, you know, they gave Thorson time to carve up the defense for 352 yards. That's a plus, and he got to take the shots when he wanted. Plus, at the goal line, you know, when you need a QB sneak, they got got the push. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Like, that counts. That counts. Yeah, I think with all the movement they had. Now, the offensive line, this was supposed to be something when we talked to Fitz and some of the other guys in the spring. This was supposed to be the one unit where they were going to be returning four or five starters, and it's huge to have that experience on the offensive line. In, in the summer, we saw a lot of movement where Blake Hans gets moved from tackle to guard. We see Gunnar Vogel, who's never really yeah, played and significant Slater minutes before. Played and he's a true freshman. Jared Thomas exactly. starting a left tackle. Jared I Thomas. don't believe he had ever made a start before yeah. right. week one. So to see these guys who don't have a lot of you know experience playing this position that they were at, I think you have to be impressed with the time Thorson got. Jackson, I, I think I agree. Um, it was more a product of Nevada stacking the box versus the offensive line not yeah. giving a good enough push. And, yeah, sure enough, the two guys that they went to on that fourth and one on the goal line, Clayton ran right behind Brad North and Tommy Doles, the two returning offensive linemen. I think it's no surprise that they're the ones that got the push and they're the ones that ultimately got Clayton into the end zone because those are the experienced offensive linemen who were playing their positions last year. And Clayton's gonna, Clayton trusted them and they got the job done. I think ultimately for Northwestern, you know, only 31 points, but if you think about those points they left on the board, it could have been more. I think it was a really good day for the offense. We all agree on that. Let's flip sides of the ball. The defense, you know, the secondary is a question. That's what I want to talk to you guys about the most. Certainly got carved up in the first half, but they really locked it down in the second half. Who's your standout performer that's not? I'm going to go with the two seniors, Godwin and Kyle. Shout out to Kyle for his interception, though. Who are your standout performers on the defensive side? Are you looking secondary or anywhere on the defense? Anywhere, anywhere. I I just don't want you to pick the, in my mind, the two biggest stars. The stars of the defense. I think it's the guy I already mentioned, Joe Gaziano. It's a toss-up. You could say either him or Lancaster on the line. I know Lancaster was Fitzgerald's pick on Monday's press conference as the defensive big playmaker. I really thought Gaziano did a great job. He has that jab step that he was working in the second half. Um... Uh, against the often against the tackles on Nevada and he just does a great job getting pressure on the quarterback and that's obviously not Lancaster's job his job is to eat up double teams so he did his job but Gaziano's I think the one that stepped up and forced pressure in the second half he made some big tackles on third down that um, got Northwestern the ball back and prevented Nevada from moving from moving downfield so I think Gaziano's the one that really impressed me week one Absolutely, I have to agree, but for a different answer, I think I wrote down the really the back end of the secondary, guys like Mo Almarzi and Brian Bullock, guys who you really weren't expecting to come out and make huge plays, but injuries happened, and Northwestern, for the most part, was able to sustain the secondary just going down time and time again, and hanging in there all right. I think that's really all you could expect, given the amount of injuries that were faced in the game and already a somewhat depleted unit coming into the game. So I think the guys at the back end, to see that Northwestern's twos and threes are ready to go like that is really impressive because I think that's what a lot of times separates the top of the Big Ten from the rest of the Big Ten. I think every Big Ten starter, for the most part, is a really good player and can make plays. But when you bring in those twos and threes, can they do the same? And in week one, Northwestern's guys held it up pretty impressively. So shout out to the back end of the secondary. I think that's a really good answer. And 
you know, quick question before I ask you about Nick McCall. Do you think this secondary can can hold up over the course of a season? We know Keith Watkins is is done, but it looks like um, Bullock should be back. It looks like Mick Shepard is is day to day, and they could have the return of Trey Williams and Travis Willock, who who definitely could help that secondary as well. Yeah, I mean, I think you're just looking for a guy who can step up and thrive under the pressure, and it's really something that. I don't think the cornerback position, it takes a lot of experience. I think it's either you have it or you don't. And uh, it's not something where you really have to know the game, know the ins and outs. Like safety, you have to know which, which side of the field you're covering. And when you're picking up this receiver versus that cornerback, the job is really just can you lock down this receiver? Can you stay on him? And they have to find someone. And maybe, who knows, maybe it's a younger guy. Maybe it is a uh, walk-on, last-year of eligibility guy like um, – Mo, Omar, Mo, yeah. Mo, yeah, and it's just it, you're, they're going to have to have someone step up. I think that there's someone in there that can fill that the other side of the ball. I think Hardage is great, and he did a great job. Someone we haven't mentioned yet, but they just have to find one other person. Is, is he on the roster? I believe I believe there is someone on there, but I'm just curious to see who it's going to be. I, I don't I don't know who it is. I think for the most part, I agree with you. I definitely believe that the secondary will be at the very least fine. But the question is, when it comes down to tough games against teams like Wisconsin or Iowa, that you're trying to win the Big Ten West and it's a one-possession game, can they not give up one big play, make that stop on Mm -hmm. third and ten? That's the question for me. They'll be fine. They won't get burned every play. But can they make the huge plays that you need to make as a secondary? Yeah, and we won't find that out until they're thrown into the fire. So something to keep your eye on going forward. Um, last question really quickly here. Give me a 20-second answer. Did Mick McCall call a good game on offense? Yes. yes. I think Mick gets a lot of heat. Yes, I thought he was fine. I thought he was fine. Okay, okay. I got to give Mick McCall credit because his his number one responsibility is to develop Clayton Thorson, and in that respect, he's done an outstanding job. Everything else is just gravy if he does a good job with that, so yeah. I'll give Mick credit yeah, for I think uh, to borrow some terms from our basketball world, it's a sexy blogger take to say Mick McCall's bad, but you can't argue with the results in the second half, and it wasn't his fault that Kubander missed a tough, a short kick, not a tough kick, and that Skronik dropped it. So I thought it was a good game for him. We just want to quiet those haters out there. The halfback draw, okay, it's a great play. Yeah. It's a great play. You what know? is the situation with Northwestern's kickers right now? Because after the game, Fitz basically said, I didn't want to take that kick because I didn't think he – I didn't have confidence he'd make it. He, it was a 23-yarder or something like that. I think he was, I think no, he was, he was talking, talking about, about a different, different play. play. He was talking about earlier when the ball was on, like, the 35-yard line. Was the fourth-yarder yeah. into the wind. It would have been yeah. into the wind. He was saying any kicker would have had I trouble with Fitz that. I thought Fitz said that on that fourth and one, he no, didn't want to kick I think, it for that. No, that one he said uh, the whole way I knew I was going for it. Okay. Because it, we practiced this situation. We know, like, that's just a scenario where we're going to go for it. I don't think any uh, – I think we'd be in real trouble if Fitz had problems. That was my reaction when I thought I heard him say that, but I'm glad to know I misunderstood. Kubander has really good credentials. He was nailing and he was nailing them in warmups. It's just a matter mental block, but I think he he'll be real good. Let's move on to this Duke game. You know, we're not experts here on Duke football, and they're they're not coming off a great year. We've seen them three times last three years. This is a four year series. But they, they steamrolled their week one opponents. What can we expect out of at least, I think, the most talented of the non-conference teams uh, this year from Duke, guys? I think the biggest thing, based on the I, – I can speak to the last two years having fo- covered and followed this Northwestern team. 
I think we're going to see a good game. And I, maybe that's not a hot take, considering we're talking about Northwestern football. And as I mentioned, they play their, their competition, and every game seems to be a close competitive game. But when you look back at uh, the 2015 and 2016 games against Duke, those were not easy wins for Northwestern by right. any stretch of the imagination. They needed a uh, Solomon Vault kick return in the second half, the start of the second half in 2015 in order that to was a swing really the momentum. tough game. And last year, if you remember, Duke was driving with a chance to take the lead in the second half, if not for an Anthony Walker strip, strip, sack. strip and yeah, recovered it and then returned it. And in my opinion, what was Walker's finest moment? That was an awesome game-changing play. play he made. crazy. But you take that play out of the equation, that's a complete. That could be a completely different game. So I think Duke, and, while it, while Northwestern yeah. is, you know been successful these past three years it's this is no cakewalk yeah. for and staff wise this is the complete opposite of what they were facing they're facing a new coach and jay norvell new coordinators i mean we heard air raid air raid but in three three five but what did we know until we were going to see it we know what duke's going to do they're very stable and david cutcliffe is a very good coach he's brought duke their best you know era of of football giving them to those four bowl games before two years ago they're going to be a very good team, and I know they're rebuilding after that injury to Cirque last year, and this new this new quarterback, we're still seeing what he's capable of, but I think that they're going to be very well coached. Well, the couple of nuggets that I was able to dig up on this Duke team is they have a better and more experienced offensive line than they did last year. That was somewhere where Northwestern took advantage last year, so I don't quite know if the Cats will be able to do the same this year. However, Duke's defense does have a tendency to give up the big play. We saw that the Cats were really willing to throw that deep ball that we didn't see Thorson throwing his freshman year. We saw it a lot at the end of last year, really mm-hmm. starting with that Michigan State game. It's the first time I can remember Northwestern just airing it out. So I would expect Northwestern to throw it a lot this game, and I think that it'll be a physical game, and I think Northwestern will have it close and kind of run away with it at the end, push it to two or three scores down the stretch. I think, yeah, you hit you hit the nail on the head with the big play. I think that's going to be the biggest um, thing to look out for on Saturday is just can Thorson keep up his play from week one? The consistency is the biggest thing. You know, he's just trying to put everything together. You saw flashes of it last year, and then – he really, it seems like this year he's coming into his own. This will be a great test to see if he can keep up that play from week one against a secondary that's prone to big plays. Can Northwestern keep airing the ball, extending the field? And if they can do that, it's just going to open up the run game for Jackson. And that's a pretty tough uh, one-two punch when you have Clayton airing the ball out downfield along with Jackson, then that that option. It could be very scary if, I think it all kind of falls on Thorson's shoulders, if he, if he can just stay in the pocket and make those throws that he was making against Nevada. And if you're the Duke coaching staff, I think you're saying the same thing about Northwestern that we just said about Duke. There's Northwestern secondary is beat up, so if you're Duke, I think you're trying to air the ball out and make some big plays as well. But I just don't think that any of those Duke quarterbacks have the ability to make that big throw the same way Thorson does. And I think that that's going to be the difference in this game. I think Northwestern is going to connect on those deep passes, where I think that Duke might those might be turnovers they might just be incomplete passes but I think that's where these two teams are really at very different levels right now yeah Daniel Jones the quarterback for Duke he was not great last year against Northwestern when he played I think for Duke offensively uh Cutcliffe likes a dink and dunk passing style which plays in Northwestern's favor if you think their cornerbacks are vulnerable maybe we'll see them dial it up first take some shots they don't really run the ball that well although they do have a big offensive line and defensively I think you guys hit the nail on the head. Very vulnerable to the big play. They do have some good linebackers, but it's to be seen how how they'll cope with Jackson and Thorson. 
I think that that does it for us. I said you said close game, late late run away from Northwestern. Zach, do you have correct. a prediction? I think close game. Northwestern ends up winning by let's say ten points. So okay, yeah, no cakewalk as I mentioned. All right, I think it'll be a good one this weekend on Saturday. Make sure you tune in to WNUR Sports on Mixer. Will Greer with the call. I'll be on caller with Tim Hackett, my fellow co-podcasting director. Should be a good one. Uh, let's bounce around the Big Ten, guys. Very successful week for our favorite conference. Who impressed you the most? There were some some big performances and a few against some good opponents. I think the most impressive, I mean, obviously you can point to Wisconsin and Ohio State who struggled early and then got, got it together. Some of the lower tier teams in the Big Ten, like Purdue and Maryland, stepping up. I mean... Purdue really hung with Purdue Louisville. hung with Louisville, guys, for that entire game. Even Rutgers, where did that come from? I mean, they played Washington very close. Those teams all, I think the biggest thing that surprised me was not the fact that Ohio State and Penn State dominated or that Michigan beat Florida. I think that's – I expected to see that. I did not expect to see this lower half of the Big Ten impress. And if that, ha- if that half can get competitive, the Big Ten is going to be scary this year, not just – top-heavy like it has been in previous years. I was actually most impressed by the Michigan Wolverines because I think coming into the year, the consensus was Michigan is a good team in in Jim Harbaugh's, I think, fourth year at the program. This is the first year it's entirely his recruits, so that's uh, exciting for Michigan football. But I don't think people thought, like last year, that Michigan would compete for a national title. I think the way they played against Florida really shows that Michigan, with the exception maybe of Alabama, who just seems to be on their own level right now, I think Michigan is as good as anyone in the country. And I think that... Everyone who is just saying it's going to be Penn State or Ohio State to win the Big Ten, I think Michigan really deserves a really serious look as a good win against a solid Florida team proves. I think they lost a lot of seniors, but they they do look very impressive. We'll see how those games go in the Big Ten East. Certainly glad we're not in that half. And then what about Maryland, guys? I mean, maybe Texas shouldn't have been ranked in the top 25, but an impressive win nonetheless. They were favored to lose by 18 points. My reaction was basically similar to when Northwestern basketball beat Texas last season, and in that I thought, wow, this is a good win, but as the season progressed, it kind of got worse worse and worse. (laughs) My guess is if we look back at this in a month and a half, two months from now, this win will be nice. It'll be a solid resume booster, but I don't think that we will consider, I don't think Texas will be anywhere near a ranked team. I think they'll be somewhere between 40 to 50 in the votes. I think Texas probably finishes in the 6 and 6 range this year. So good for Maryland. 51 points for a basketball school. Shout out to Maryland. That's what I'm saying. Going into Austin with 100,000 people in that stadium in that hostile environment and hanging 51 on Texas. I think that's a bad sign for Texas. I don't care how bad Texas is. That's no easy feat, especially for Maryland, who, yeah, Maryland may not be a competitive team in the Big Ten, but still very impressive for a school that is not known for football. I don't know if you guys have gotten a chance, but if not, go on Twitter and check out Maryland's new practice facilities for football. I saw it on, on online this summer. Absolutely incredible. That school, I do think, definitely has a chance to really compete because they're, they can compete for these uh, East Conference recruits. Maybe the ACC is ignoring, get, offer them an opportunity to play in the Big Ten and still be on the East Coast. So I wouldn't be shocked if in a few years from now Maryland is, I wouldn't say at the top of the Big Ten, but maybe where Northwestern yeah, has been the last few yeah. years. Certainly DJ Durkin, a good hire, good um, recruiting credentials. He's, he's known to be a really good recruiter and was a good coordinator in his time. I believe he was at Michigan under Harbaugh. So certainly a program on the up. And then we did see a Big Ten versus Big Ten contest. Contest Indiana versus Ohio State. 
And this one was closer expected. I think that 49-21 scoreline is uh, a little unfair to Indiana. What do you guys make of Indiana, you know, hanging there with the Buckeyes? Well, you watch this game in the first half, and it was like two really evenly matched teams. You come out in the second half, and Indiana hangs with Ohio State for a bit longer, but boy, were they getting lucky to do that. There were a couple plays. There was the strip sack that was returned for a touchdown and then overturned, and it seems like two or three, I think Ohio State had a drop touchdown that should oh, not Oh, the long be, ball. That was right. sports center, not top ten. Pat, once you get past <laughs> sixth grade, wide receiver should not be dropping a pass like that. So I think, I mean, yeah, Ohio State ran away with it at the end. So I think, give credit, in, Indiana credit, and like another solid performance. But I think Ohio State was clearly the far better team here. So I, I still don't think Indiana's much more than a 6-6, six 7-5 six, team. I don't think this game should really change our opinion on that. Yeah, and I don't think it changes our opinion on Indiana, and it certainly doesn't change my opinion on Ohio State. They certainly flexed their muscles when it mattered in that second half. Um, held Indiana to 17 rushing yards all game. That's kind of where the tell-all sign just dominating the front line that off Ohio State clearly has more talent on that on on the line and just more talent in general with that defense. They're going to be a very scary team, and I'm sure we'll get into this week. Very, very intriguing matchup uh, as Oklahoma comes into Columbus to take on Ohio State. Just the amount of talent that's going to be on that field crazy and it, it's going to be a fun game to watch and Ohio State's going to be a very scary team in the Big Ten this year. And if you didn't get a chance to watch that Ohio State-Indiana game you have not been introduced to J.K. Dobbins yet, the freshman running back, true freshman running back on Ohio State who looks like he might have a Heisman Trophy in his future. 180 rushing yards I believe more or less in his first game and the speed and power combo that he has at 18 years old is it, just unfair especially running behind that Ohio State offensive line. I think that Ohio State's offense is maybe the most talented in the country. I think their their offense is better than Alabama's. I think it's, think it's better than Clemson since they lost Watson. So I think Ohio State's offense is really the, the scariest part of this team, and I don't think J.K. Dobbins is going to slow down a bit this year. It will be interesting this week. You get J.T. Barrett versus Baker Mayfield. A really high-powered, Just star-studded matchup. Two Basically, guys who have been around forever. Yeah. Right, other than the quarterbacks, uh, Sam Darno, Josh Rosen, the guys who are going to go uh, one, two, three in the draft. Mm-hmm. What's it? the guy from Notre Dame at Wyoming as well as the third Wyoming. guy? <laughs> he might be playing himself out of that after that uh, performance against <laughs> Iowa. No, he's, he's good. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name. Jeez. But two guys in yeah. this Ohio State-Oklahoma game that maybe not – the NFL caliber the talent, but certainly next, they're the next type of players football. who are really, really fun college players who might be in Heisman contention exactly. down the road. Lamar I mean, Jackson territory, exactly. So <laughs> the, it'll be a very intriguing matchup in Columbus, and uh, I'm excited to see that Mayfield versus Barrett. Not to take anything away from Baker Mayfield, he throws uh, maybe the best deep ball in all of college football. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredible the touch he has on those. 50-yard throws or whatever it is. He's he's really good. So it, it should be a really fun game to watch. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, let's get your thoughts on this game just a little bit more. You know, not a great slate for the Big Ten this week. You look around the Big Ten. Penn State versus Pitt is certainly a Pennsylvania rivalry that can be fun. Iowa-Iowa State, another one in that ilk. And say, uh, same with Western Michigan-Michigan State. But do any of those games really catch your eyes, guys? I'm not. I'm really looking at the schedule. Not not too excited this week about the Big Ten. I think there's a, really a lot of downside for most of these games, and very little upside. Obviously, for Ohio State, that's a different story. Playing a team in the top ten in the nation, but you'll get Penn State playing Pitt, Iowa playing Iowa State. Those are games that if you win, people go, okay, nice. It's kind of the same thing for Northwestern playing Duke. If Northwestern yeah. beats Duke, everyone will go, nice, good job. 
But honestly, the downside to losing it is far greater than the upside to winning it. So I think this is a week that every Big Ten team locks in and says, let's just go take care of business. It's not going to be flashy. No one's really going to give us too much praise. But you got to get, if you're Northwestern and you're these other Big Ten teams, Northwestern has to look at it and go, we have to go 3-0 and the first three weeks when we get into Madison, Wisconsin. And I think that this is just a week where you have to go check off a box. Each, each win does count, and that's where we currently find ourselves in the schedule. Yeah, a lot of trap games, I think, this week. And that's sort of what Adam was was t- touching on. Um, no, some of these games, yeah, you pencil them in as a win, but just one of these teams Some, is going to get tripped up. The Big Ten is not going to have the week that they had in week one, in my opinion. The one I'm looking at is Michigan State, Western, Western Michigan at Michigan State. That Western Michigan team held with USC for nearly the entire game. The last, like, eight minutes maybe of the game, USC really took over and – uh, opened it up to like a 20-point lead, but Western was tied with them at the half, and they were tied with them at the end of the third quarter, I believe, or if, if not, it was a one-score game that Western was keeping with them that whole game. Michigan State, they opened it up against Bowling Green, but they were really struggling early. Brian Lewerke has, is, he is struggling to throw the ball downfield, so they're a really one-dimensional offense right now, and that's the one that I kind of have circled is watch out for Western Michigan. That's a team, even with first-year head coach Tim Lester, that it's going to be... I think a really fun game. Yeah, the other potential fun trap game, although I really don't see it, Wisconsin probably will steamroll Florida Atlantic, but Lane Kiffin, you know, big name coach, so we'll see how that goes. And then the one actual tough, tough game for Northwestern is Nebraska versus Oregon uh, in, in Oregon. I don't see Nebraska coming away with a win there. That is a tough matchup. I think Eugene and the University of Oregon is another school like us on the quarter system, so I believe that their student section might be a little bit empty, but I think they do a pretty solid job of filling it up even before the season starts. So I'm, I'm looking forward. I didn't know that they were on the quarter system prior to a few yeah, days I didn't know ago. That either. So I, I'm excited to see how good a job they can do of filling up those stands before all the students arrive on campus. But Oregon, just just a powerhouse every yeah. single year. I, I couldn't name a player on that team, but I can guarantee <laughs> you that their offense is amazing. New head coach <laughs> yeah. this year, too, after uh, Helfrich got the uh, axe last year. But I think I believe Oregon's a 14-point favorite against Nebraska he- uh, heading into this Gotta week. Got to be careful with those big lines. Yeah, you never know. But, I mean, as, as after the week Nebraska had week one. They almost... Red Almost wolves. lost to those Red Wolves. That would have been something. Yeah. <clears throat> let's move on to let's move on to the national stage. Um, good Big Ten talk there. Um, who were the biggest winners for some Week One? I think Week One was a great advertisement for college football on the whole. Some really exciting games. Um, there's a few names I have, but I'm sure you guys know them too. Who, each of you, who was your biggest winner? I'm going to go back to Michigan. I really think that they proved themselves at a higher tier of college football team than we thought they were going in. I know you, I'm, I'm sure you guys will touch upon UCLA and Alabama, just kind of like preemptively argue against that. I think UCLA, yes, they have a ton of momentum now, but did they really play that get rated game? And you even watched the highlights of that comeback. A couple of those throws by Josh Rose <laughs> yeah. went right through some hands. So I'm not fully sold on the UCLA bandwagon. And Alabama, yes, we know they're amazing. And plus, once Florida State's quarterback went down, their season, they, their entire season was over. They that's why I think they're the biggest loser from Week One. Absolutely, not they even were close. number three and they lost their quarterback. No, I'm sure they have a really good recruit. Whoever's stepping in behind Francois, but that's it doesn't matter. Francois you, is you amazing. Yeah, you needed him, and they're in trouble. 
I hope they can recover from that. But biggest losers because they not only did they lose to the best team in the country, they wore, they lost their best player too. So. I don't know if you guys watched last year when Clemson played Florida State. Francois took a beating at that quarterback position like few I've ever seen before. And he got up every single time. Incredibly tough. So to lose him is not only losing such a great football player, but a guy who's an absolute warrior at that quarterback position, which I don't think you can overvalue. And even mentally, if they if somehow do have a great backup quarterback ready, how is this team going to respond knowing that their potential Heisman candidate just went down and their expectations are so high? Anything short of national title doesn't matter to Florida State. So I really don't I think, think it's can... really good news for their ACC opponents, Clemson. That was my Clemson. winner. That was yeah. my winner of the week. Is that your winner Clemson. of the week? Oh, that's a smart. <laughs> I mean, fifty-six to three over Kent State. Obviously, doesn't matter. Doesn't do they, anything. They did but their business, yeah. Francois losing him for the year—that's their biggest obstacle in the way. Louisville didn't look great against Purdue. Other uh, foe in the ACC. Miami did fine. Uh, they did what they were supposed to do and cleaned up against uh, Bethune Cookman, forty-one thirteen. But Clemson has to be the clear favorite in the ACC now. Tough challenge this week against Auburn. Another clear winner, obviously, is uh, Alabama. So if you're looking at the two teams who were playing for the national championship yeah. last year. The rich again, th- richer. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the point. I know we knew they were good, and I think that's why it's tough to call them a winner, but they defeated one of their would-be opponents and severely weakened them. Mm-hmm. So that's really a, a catastrophic blow. So Alabama, keep rolling. Any other winners or losers you guys want to add? I put on here Texas A&M just because they blew a huge lead, and Georgia Tech, and not really, but just the, the way that they lost to Tennessee when they pretty much had it no, in the bag tough. was frustrating. Uh, someone I forgot to mention in the ACC, Virginia Tech, got yeah. the job done in Washington, D.C. against, against West team. Virginia. I think they yeah. had a freshman quarterback starting. They do, so yeah. Yeah. And Josh Jackson. Ahead for he, them. Uh, he's pretty fearless. That's the he's, one. He's not a great passer, but boy, he's not a great passer. Brett Favre, like, just like throwing it into traffic. He needs to learn how. He needs to learn how to slide. Definitely. Um, the guy, the guy was diving head first. They, they into, called uh, a ton of QB keepers, and he didn't really know how to go down. So he's like I don't know if it was he didn't know. Position right I don't now. know if it was he didn't know yeah. or if he didn't want to go yeah. down. But <laughs> the guy was could, for a freshman, just absolutely yeah. fearless yeah. in that game. Um, he can throw a bit, but he's not a, like a great pocket passer. I'd okay, say. so yeah. like a JT Barrett type could be. Could I don't be. see. He's, he's kind of maybe down the road, maybe yeah. down the road. Yeah. I don't see Virginia Tech this year as being a team that's going to go into yeah, of course, a, of course, or face Clemson, face Miami, face Louisville, and be able to just one by one this guy is going to knock him off i think maybe you'll have a big game against one of those teams but ultimately virginia tech's a team that showed a lot of promise against west virginia could compete for the acc uh is it the atlanta the other division in the acc that doesn't include louisville the the Clemson, duke, the and duke State. unc uh yeah division. i think virginia the Tech's, big 10 west of the acc <laughs> exactly yeah, exactly i think virginia tech could make noise in that division so we could see them playing for an acc championship as early as this year behind the quarterback, uh, Josh Jackson, I think he, his name is, from Ann Arbor. Um, he's a great athlete, and I think he could make some big plays but ultimately and get Virginia in contention, but not quite contention for a national title. And if you're not a believer in Clemson, maybe you think that between Ben Bulwer and Deshaun Watson, they just lost too much leadership. Is this the year that the ACC doesn't get someone in the college football playoff? I think they, I believe they have in the past every year, but with Florida State seemingly out of it after just week well, one. I think one of these years, the Pac-12, well, not one of these years, but the Pac-12 is going to have to have a say eventually in the college championship. Maybe USC 
or Stanford is that team. Well, the Big 12, in my opinion, is really the one that's been missing out because mm-hmm. yeah. you haven't seen much great Texas football recently. Really, Oklahoma's been the one powerhouse out of there, but they're not at the same level we've seen from the Alabamas and Clemsons of the world. And that, that's what makes this week so interesting. Is this Ohio State and Oklahoma a loser-leaves-town game? It, it is a loser-leaves-town for the national championship, you think? in my opinion. You don't opinion. think they could get in with one loss if Oklahoma loses in is, Columbus is this Ohio's, week and runs the table? If Ohio, the State, if Ohio State loses, how are they going to beat Michigan and Penn State if they're not that good? Right, but if Oklahoma... Well, it's week two. Maybe they yeah, improve. Yeah, maybe they'll improve. If Oklahoma loses to only Ohio State... They could probably get with in. the Big 12. You, do you think their resume... I but mean, the Big 12 strength of schedule might be down. That's what we're... Yeah. Right, Ohio State, in my opinion, can lose this game and win out yeah. and undoubtedly make yeah, the Yeah, because right. they have to get through Michigan and Penn State. Oklahoma gets a little And then trickier. probably Wisconsin yeah. in the... In, in, in the a Big 10. Or Northwestern. Stay tuned. Go Cats. We'll have to... Yes, but Ohio State has more wiggle room. And I think if I'm an athletic director, whoever makes these schedules, I'm making all my tough out-of-conference games week one and week two. Because if you lose, it's not not that big deal. You, you have, have the rest time of your to season. rebuild your image. But if it mm-hmm. if you win, you just beat a top ten team. So I think it's really for Ohio State in particular a win win situation. Yeah, and I, I do think Ohio State's going to win this game. I, I think they're incredible. Um, one last winner and loser of the week for me, just for fun. Winner is that guy in Miami with the huge chain. <laughs> that was great. Loser, the dude on ex- uh, Texas A and M with the cane. Because I got photoshopped to an L. Yeah. Tough one for the Aggies. Just the Aggies in general. Kevin Sumlin was taking some uh, heat after yeah. the game. Probably some well-deserved heat. But the funny thing was, at halftime, people were talking about on Twitter, Jim Mora's buyout. $12 million. Oh, that was hilarious. The rumors were swirling. Jim Mora. I think Jim Mora is looking pretty solid yeah, after the, that good. comeback. Kevin Sumlin, on the other hand, I would be uh, selling go, my Kevin Sumlin stock. Is he going to go eight and four again? I don't know. Based on what we saw week one, Texas A&M know. would be. Uh, it was just amazing that of all the games to feature such a huge comeback, it was the one game where you knew whichever coach lost would be on the hot seat immediately. Right. That was the game that we saw the absolute wildest stuff happening. Mm-hmm. So I think we really got lucky that of all the games for that to take place, and that was where it happened. Right, I agree. Let's talk about the week two matchups really quickly. Maybe one thirty seconds or a minute from you guys, and what do you think is going to happen? Clemson Auburn. Who comes out in a in a really fun matchup? I like the Tigers in this one. As I said, they lost so many great players from last year, but uh, Dabo Sweeney I think has established himself as if not the best arguably the best coach in college football. So I think that Clemson is just a tier above everyone in the ACC with the exception of Florida State before they lost their quarterback. So I really think that Clemson will will win this game and I think win the ACC ultimately. So the Clemson Tigers. The Clemson Tigers, yeah. yes, excuse me. Yeah. We have a battle <laughs> Got of Tigers. You. Exactly, yeah. Tigers, Tigers. I'm right with you. LSU. I think uh, Clemson's going to – I think Clemson's got this one too. Tough slate coming up for Clemson. They've got – Louisville in a couple of weeks. They have uh, Virginia Tech in week five. So. And Florida State is somewhere and in Florida there Florida State well. somewhere in there too. So just no, a no off weeks for Clemson coming up. And I think they get it, they get it started, that gauntlet on the right track against uh, Auburn. Georgia-Notre Dame, Georgia without their quarterback. Notre Dame did go 4-8 and eight last year. But is in the top 25. Who's coming on top in this one? I don't really like this Notre Dame team. I don't, I don't think they're going to do much more than 6-6, six 7-6 and six, seven and six this year. I think losing Kaiser was a big deal for them. I don't think they have a replacement in, in-house ready to go. So I think that Georgia will win this game. I think the Bulldogs will just show their strength and outmuscle the Notre Dame fighting Irish. Yeah, having not, not knowing a lot about each team, I'm personally going to pick Notre Dame just because Georgia, without their quarterback going to South Bend, 
tough task. I think Notre Dame. A true freshman. A lot of people are kind of writing Notre Dame out just based on the fact that they went four and eight last year. And their schedule is beyond tough. Their schedule is very tough. So I think Notre Dame has a bounce back year. They kind of regress to the uh, or not regress, but level out to the mean. Four and eight was a little bit of a drastic worst case scenario for them last year. That should never happen in, no. in South Bend. And so I think Notre Dame, this kind of starts off everything, especially without with Georgia, without their starting. This would be a big win for Notre Dame, because Notre Dame is kind of in an interesting position this year in terms of what they're going to do. Definitely a lot of pressure on that program. So this is definitely an opportunity going up against a team that's beaten up at the quarterback position to get a win that's maybe not as hard as it should be, but it's right there for the taking. Mm-hmm. And then last game I want to ask you guys about USC-Stanford, a good matchup out west. Stanford, you know, ranked 14th, and USC, I think, top five. And we all know Darnold is one of the preseason favorites to be the best quarterback drafted next year. What's happening in this one? Boy, it's – USC just has so much talent. It's hard to pick against them. Darnold looks great. They really – I mean, they had a lot of penalties that game against Western Michigan, but they really stepped it up when it mattered and showed just how much talent they have. It's tough to pick against them, but I will say I'm going with USC, but it does feel like a game based on previous years where there's a lot of hype surrounding USC. They always seem to drop an early one. This feels like, I mean, the Stanford team's kind of flying under the radar. I'm picking USC, but I, I think watch out for Stanford. It could, I could easily see this uh, going in the Cardinal favor. Zach, I, I totally see your trepidation. USC the last few years to me is a, also seems like a team that should be better and they always seem to disappoint. But I do think this is finally the year that USC has you know, a 10-11 win season and is back to the, kind of their glory where they've been in the past. I, I think USC is going to win this game. I just think too many incredible players, particularly at the most important position in football. So I think that it'll be a great game. I'm really looking forward to watching this, some Pac-12 football, not where I get to watch a ton of. But I think that USC comes out on top. All right, guys, last segment of this Moving the Chains podcast. Your lock of the week, if you're listening, we're still looking for a sponsor for this segment. Feel free to underwrite us there. Looking for something creative. Maybe a lock company that's listening in wants to, to get in on the action. Um, last week, we'll remind you of how it went. Sam Brief locked two. He was bold. It was only one for one. Michigan over Florida at three and a half. Worked out well. Louisville minus 24 and a half over Purdue. Did not. Henry DeMore, very well done. Maryland plus 18 over Texas. They won that game by 10. We're two and one here at WNR. These are locks. We should have no losses. I'm counting on you guys to get us two dubs here. What are your locks of the week against the spread? Adam, let's start with you. You know, it's really hard to call anything a lock. Since there are no locks th- in There's a football. spread for a reason. It makes it tough to pick. So I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say I, I'm overly, overly confident. I wouldn't mortgage your house on this. But I, I'm going to go that, with... that bet a little. <laughs> I'm going to go with Georgia. I, I think that Georgia will cover against Notre Dame. I, I'm just not a believer in this Notre Dame team. I think that Georgia, I know missing a quarterback is tough, but I'm going to take the uh, Bulldogs to... Not only cover, but get the wind in South Bend. All right. I like it, Adam. Zach, what's your lock of the week? I'm going more confident. We're certainly not a gambling <laughs> podcast, but if you are a gambler, go ahead and mortgage your house. Utah is beating BYU. BYU is not bad. a good team. Utah minus one in a big rivalry game. Utah is just the more talented team. BYU played LSU last week. It's got six first downs all game. That is not good. No. One, negative five rushing yards. What? BYU, they struggled the first week against Portland State. Everyone just said, oh, it's week one. You know, you never know. Maybe they just had to kind of get the kinks out. Then just laid an egg against LSU. Got shut out 27 nothing. 
Utah is the more talented team, and they're only getting one point. Utah minus one, take that all day. Well, there you have it. Zach with Utah, Adam with Georgia. We'll review it next week. Uh, still looking for a sponsor, but that's your lock of the week from Adam and Zach. That's it, guys. Thanks for a great podcast. Yeah, I hope whoever you. listening, you know, you learned a lot about some really good college football. Like I said, really interesting. It's really interesting time to be a college football fan. Fan. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Bronstein underscore Adam. I have a pretty diverse Twitter handle in terms of what I tweet about, but Northwestern Athletics are right at the forefront, so be sure to stay tuned. And Zach, where can we find you? Just at Zach Wingrove, uh, Z-A-C-H Zach, and last name Wingrove, yeah. Can't uh, spell it wrong. Nope. We'll, so, we'll be seeing any Michigan high school football on your Twitter. We have seen a lot of that. <laughs> no more Michigan <laughs> no high school more, football. No I'm back at Northwestern, no College longer working only, my job yeah. in Grand Rapids, but... It was very fun. Expanded the brand a little. Got some diverse followers. And, uh, yeah, some of them even stuck around and wanted to hear what I had to say about Northwestern. So There you go. As long as we can spread the word about our cats. Thanks for listening, all. This is Moving the Chains, Episode 2. Reminder, you can follow us on SoundCloud and subscribe on iTunes to have our podcast delivered to you every week. Thanks for listening here on WNUR.